Hey everyone, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. We got a rare um, Saturday night edition issue, whatever this is. This is a newsletter, right? Uh, yeah. I was. I had to um, meet a friend who lives in Germany who I hadn't seen in years, and I usually hate Twitter, but I asked Twitter what bar to go to in Midtown, which is a place real New Yorkers tend to avoid, not to sound obnoxious, and someone recommended Valhalla, and it was a legitimately really good bar in Midtown, so if one of the 16 of you is whoever, uh, 18 of you is the person who recommended Valhalla, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, are we talking about Jon Stewart? Yes, inevitably. I want to talk a little bit about um, not just Jon Stewart, but also, um, I should say I'll get to the folks in the queue shortly. Um, two things happen on the sort of ever-raging youth gender front in a short period of time. One was that Jon Stewart thing, which I've only seen bits of that, that were incredibly difficult to watch as someone who follows this stuff closely and I think knows a fair amount about it, arguably. There was that. There was also a... Uh, article in Reuters, Reuters Investigates, called As More Transgender Children Seek Medical Care, Families Confront Many Unknowns. This was one of the best articles that's been published on this stuff. It, it was like a real empathetic, comprehensive, compassionate deep dive into this medical controversy. And at the risk of repeating myself, it is a medical controversy. There's just like very little known about the long-term outcomes of these kids. And uh, these guys got in touch with, I believe, 18 clinics as I hit the wrong key. Let me double check this. In interviews, okay, so um, uh, some of you probably already know this, but there's a the data we have on youth gender medicine comes from the so-called Dutch clinic. They had a very careful, gradual process where they would assess kids over a period of months, and they initially had fairly strict age requirements. So no one was going into this clinic in Amsterdam and just going on blockers or hormones. It was really a process. It was a process because they wanted to make sure the kids didn't have, you know, mental health comorbidities that would complicate uh, the transition process. They wanted to make sure they had um, supportive families. It, it was very gatekeepy. So the little bit of data we have comes from that context. This is uh, two sentences from the Reuters article. In interviews with Reuters, doctors and other staff at 18 gender clinics around the country described their processes for evaluating patients. None described anything like the months-long assessments DeVries and her colleagues, that's Anna Lou DeVries, a sort of legend in the field in the Netherlands, uh, none described anything like the months-long assessments DeVries and her colleagues adopted in their research. So what it comes down to is that like the methodology going on at a lot of these clinics, um, this is a giant experiment. Um, that's maybe stronger language than I would have used in the past. If it's not an experiment, I'm curious how you could say it's not an experiment. This particular protocol of putting kids on these medicines quickly without treatment has never really been done before. There's no research on it. There's no even medium-term follow-up. Uh, as I wrote in my newsletter, the research we have on adolescent double mastectomies in an American context is trash. They're, they're just not bothering to study it. Uh, things like anxiety and depression, suicidality. So that's what you would get if you read the Reuters piece. Then there's Jon Stewart, who I, I have not yet had it in me to watch this whole thing. I know I'll have to, but I saw like his interview with the Arkansas AG, and I agree with him that red states are not taking the right approach to this, but Stewart is absolutely falling for that bullshit that these treatments are great. We have great evidence for them. Everyone supports them. And 
I think very bad to ban these treatments. I've been pretty outspoken about like what's happened in Texas where they're really doing some stuff I find horrifying, but it also doesn't help trans kids or their families to basically lie to your view. Well, in Stewart's case, I think he just doesn't know. I think he has millennial researchers or Zoomer researchers who just are sort of, it's like a direct conduit from like GLAD or HRC to John Stewart's show, unfortunately, with no skepticism, but it doesn't help people to spread misinformation about these treatments. It doesn't help trans kids or their families to say, yep, this is great. We have a lot of data to support this. Blockers are great. Blockers help. It's just, it's getting pretty pernicious, man, especially when you talk about suicide, especially when you talk about exaggerating the evidence that these treatments reduce suicide. I, I don't know if Stuart mentions that explicitly. I'd be surprised if he didn't, but that's a ubiquitous claim. So it was interesting seeing these two very different pieces of journalism on the subject. The Reuters one I thought was truly excellent, and uh, the three authors should be applauded. Might as well say their names. Chad Terhune, Robin Respout, and Michelle Conlin. They did a great job. Sort of polar opposite of what Stuart did. And it's just a sign that even on the left, because I think it's probably unlikely any of these three Reuters journalists are conservatives. Journalism is dominated by liberals, even on the left. People are just flying off in far different directions with one fact um, saying maybe we should slow down. There's not much evidence supporting these treatments. And the other faction going the John Stewart, you know, glad Jack Turbin route of these treatments are great. How could anyone disagree with them? Which is just not an approach that's backed by the evidence. Uh, I talk about this stuff too much, maybe. Anyway, Neil, what's up? I am, as I said on Twitter, going to be critical for once. Oh, um, last show you called the people upset at Ariel, the Little Mermaid, being race swapped, quote unquote, losers. And it really disappointed me because normally you're good at steel manning positions you disagree with, but in this case, you didn't even try. So, as one of said losers, I guess I have to call in to defend my position. Okay. So, we three main reasons why someone would be upset at race swaps. One, because they're racist. Obviously, screw those people, not one of them. Two, because they hate the pandering or the perceived pandering, which I'm not really one of these people either, because some race swaps are pandering and some aren't, and trying to read people's minds is stupid. Although in some cases, the people come out and admit that they're pandering, so in those cases, yeah, I get being upset, but it's still superseded by the main reason I don't like race swaps, which is three, I care about adaptive faithfulness, especially when it comes to the characters. When I'm watching an adaptation of something, or reading an adaptation, of course I want the adapted versions of the characters to look like they did in the source material. Why would I not? And I'm, I'm just baffled that so many people don't care about completely unnecessary changes, changes in characters' appearances. That's like one of the two things that defines a character, their appearance and their personality. And I, those are the most important things to keep the same. And so, yet, a lot of people don't care. And it's fine to not care, but at least don't be dismissive of what I think is an easy to understand and totally reasonable position. But in the case of something like The Little Mermaid, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the... Sorry, it was what, a Dutch fairy tale? Where, where was the original Little Mermaid from? I don't know, but but it's it's the Disney thing that's being adapted, not the original Dutch tale, right? Sure, but I think it's really pathetic. I saw, I think it was in Copenhagen. What, where's the famous statue? God, I'm really confusing myself now. This is, um, right, Mermaid. No, I know mermaids go back forever. I thought the Little Mermaid was like came from a Dutch... Anyway, the point is, my, so my argument is just that the Disney version of The Little Mermaid is just an adaptation of some other person's fairy tale that became a blockbuster hit. I just don't understand why like that particular vision of it should then be frozen. Like that is the one way to portray The Little Mermaid, or like it's, why is it's that specifically important? Disney's Little Mermaid though? 
It's like okay. Ariel the Little Mermaid looks like this. Why? Why does she have to be changed? It doesn't. It's, a, it's just um, a principle. I mean, one argument for why she should be changed is like the cartoon originally came out what 88 89 87 88 i don't know um it came out at a time when there was legitimately less representation and when a lot but of why does representation matter though i don't I, this is a... I mean i think people overrate it but it, it it's like i guess i just don't i don't see why it's so important that each new iteration of okay so this is all a giant cash grab on disney's part this is oh yeah giant, of course but but a, that's yeah this is a giant corporation trying to make money. I just, I just don't understand why there's something so sacrosanct about the race of the Little Mermaid. And I know you're no, not but racing. it's not, it's not her race that matters at all. It's, it's just how she looks, right? This is just a, it's, it's her hair color, her skin color. It's not, it's nothing to do with race, actually. So if there's like, I'm assuming there's like a play or a musical, would you, would it be important for that Little Mermaid to be white? If it's based on the Disney version, yeah. If it's supposed to be the Disney Ariel Little Mermaid, then yeah, I would say yes. Okay, I, I do not think that you are in the racist category i think i just don't so i'm something's not clicking with my understanding of why it's important it's, it's just like adaptive faithfulness it's like the 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 principle that you think that the character should just be adapted as faithfully as possible yeah right, i don't know all right i can at least understand the argument even if i don't fully buy it okay and so then the second thing i wanted to be critical of was that so destiny destiny recently debated jordan peterson except nope it was actually a lie to get people to come to him dropping his keppel's manifesto yep. which i skimmed it seemed fine for those who weren't already following things anyway i don't follow destiny so i wasn't personally affected by this lie and didn't think much of it until lewis rossin this uh, right to repair advocate youtuber he uploaded a three-minute rant video about how he was so upset at Destiny for lying about this because he was so excited for the debate only to hear about some lol cow BS that he didn't care about. So I rethought my position and realized that, yeah, it was kind of a shitty thing to do, right, to hype people up and then not deliver. And then I suddenly remembered you and Katie, but mostly you, hyping up this game of catch for your Heterodox <laughs> Academy show for yeah. months. And then that not happening either. And I didn't go to the conference, so again, I wasn't personally affected. But I love cash, so I, if I had gone, I would have been really upset that there wasn't cash. So I feel like I have to be upset, again, on principle. So I guess my question is, do public figures have a responsibility to not lie to their audiences to generate hype, even if it's for something stupid? I appreciate that, Neil. I would take the next caller as I answer that, but I, I appreciate the calls. Uh, yeah, I think Destiny probably shouldn't have advertised that he was going to interview Jordan Peterson and that instead spent, I think, three hours reading a document about Keffels. Uh As for the game of catch, we fully intended to play it. It, this was in a downtown Denver convention center that was like all concrete and like fluorescent lighting. There wasn't really a place to play catch. We are doing an event at Dartmouth, which should have a lot of grassy lawns, so maybe we'll try to do it then. Anyway, Ben, what is up? Hey, Jesse. Um, hey. I didn't really have any intention of talking about The Little Mermaid when I was calling in, but <laughs> no I one ever does. Following it, but yeah, I think that um, I, I think I actually understand uh, Neil's point potentially, and that's kind of that. I mean, I don't know. I, I come from a family of uh, people who, uh, how do you say it? Like, we have red hair in our genes, and The Little Mermaid was always like an icon for my, <laughs> like a ginger my icon. Sister. It's kind of like the only redhead in popular media. So I don't gotcha. know. I guess that's potentially a loss for redheaded girls. I don't know. I, I really don't know if that's a compelling um, take at all. <laughs> but you're saying redhead, redhead representation matters. Uh, I guess if you're a child who's redheaded, it is nice to see you know, a movie with someone that has it. Although there's also Brave, I suppose, and there's some other ones. So I don't know. I think that's kind of... I guess what Neil was saying, it's not so much about the race as much as the look. And yeah. it's kind of like if they were to make a Spider-Man movie, but the Spider-Man out, uh, you know, outfit was like, you know, green or something. I don't know if that if that actually 
is what Neil was saying, or if that even makes any sense. But that's just kind of my my off the cuff thoughts. But I actually have some some uh, thoughts on, or I guess a, a question on something that's not related to that or to John Stewart. But um, I don't know. I've been seeing a lot from friends and and um, I guess people online, people concerned with the the uh, I guess you would say rise of uh, global fascism and I don't know it's one of those things that I that I hear people say a lot and I'm not I'm not always sure what they're referring to specifically and I was wondering what what are your thoughts on that uh, do you believe that there um, is a particularly unique rise of fascism and what are your what are you concerned about in that regard and what's the best evidence for that yeah that's a good and tough question because it's not really my area I mean my view is that um this will all. This is like a part of human nature, and it'll always be a challenge. And what's happened in Europe, particularly like the Syrian civil war and this historic wave of migration, has has led to some really political threats. And if you look at a place places like Hungary, like that, that's there's a real threat of a nation fascism there. I guess the problem is. I don't want to focus too much on this, but in like our information ecosystem where like everything is fascism, it might be harder to like identify the genuine article. So do I think the GOP is fascist? No, I think they have like shitty, genuinely far right economic views and a lot of other views I disagree with. And I also think some of them would try to steal an election like the Trumpy ones would, which is like, you know, a form of fascism. But I don't actually think like actual fascism plays much of a role here. And in Europe, it just seems like there's these far right parties like Golden Dawn or AFD in Germany that seem to always be nibbling at the edges and sometimes getting, um, you know, ten to twenty percent of of the vote. And in Sweden, it's this, the Demo the Swedish Democrats. Um, there was just a big article about how crime in Sweden and the the um, this was in Common Sense, and I don't know much about the subject, but. Um, I'm rambling. This was a good example of how these, these different issues interact. This Common Sense article explained that the rise of this party that does have its roots in actual Nazis, whatever it is now, was because like there was a stigma against talking about the fact that there really was crime in some immigrant communities in Sweden, which is a difficult thing to talk about. But I think it's like it's hard to talk about this stuff, and I think it will always be a threat in Europe. I don't think we're necessarily at a moment of like a historic upward inflection point. It just seems to always just be hovering around the edges of it. Um, does that make sense? I, I'm rambling a little bit. Yeah, I think so. It's just hard to know what's actually happening in the world. I think I got um, dinner with tonight. I knew her in Germany and I mentioned how I was there in 2017, the end of 2017 for the elections. I was there on a junket put on by the SPD, the Social Democrats. And we were there as they got demolished uh, in the national elections. And AFD, the far-right party, took up a big chunk of their of their seats. But, you know, so everyone was like, oh, this is terrifying. But now five years later, the SPD is back in power. So a lot of this, I don't know, it goes back and forth. And it's I, I don't think we're on the brink of fascism or anything, luckily. I would not want to be an ac like an academic or an intellectual or an LGBT activist living in Hungary. Uh, but, yeah, anyway, yeah. sorry. I'm rambling because I don't, I don't know that much about the specifics of this stuff, to be honest. Yeah, all good. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Eli. What's up, Eli? Me? Lou? Hello, can you hear me? Uh, yes, can you hear me? I can. 
Yeah. So just wanted to say a couple of things. One, um, uh, there was a discussion about Michael Tracy in the last um, conversation, I think, or maybe the one before it. I think that the caller was kind of being very gracious and still manning Michael Tracy because my, because if you look at the tweets, he is basically saying that, uh, or all but saying that intervening in World War Two was well, for the U.S. I mean, the U.S. intervention in World War Two was a bad thing. He's very clear about that. Yeah, that's not, I disagree with that. No, I agree. So that's the first thing. But I had a question that I've been thinking about for a while, but every time there were, I was in Israel and every time there was a call in, it was in the middle of the night. So I couldn't ask it. So my question is, why do people on Twitter think it's such a dunk that there are such low, even if that is true, that there are such low regret rates for uh, youth gender uh, surgeries? Because regret, I mean... Reality isn't a double-blind study, and people can regret things that may well have been good for them and deeply be very proud of things that are absolutely awful. Um, so I think isn't the question of whether you regret something very different from asking whether it was good. It's still good for your mental health. It's still important for your mental health. But, I mean, everyone seems to be treating it as a dunk, but I don't see why. Um, yeah, I mean, I find it hard to sort of decouple here because... There is there is no evidence on regret rates for adolescent transition. Like there's just yeah. uh, just almost none. Um, unlike the philosophical question, that's sort of interesting. You're saying it could be an individual person doesn't regret something, but it still wasn't the right move for them as far as some like external observers concerned. No, I just mean that let's say there is a treatment X, okay? Yeah. And to establish the efficacy of treatment X, it isn't enough to just wait here and ask people whether it was good for them. So right. because to because to say something is good for you means you're you're constructing this counterfactual and you're kind of comparing what you have now with this entirely imaginary counterfactual. Yeah. So so, so part of this is just not long enough follow up period. Yeah, but also that's the nature of reality. So that's why double blind studies exist. Right. Because it's not enough to just ask one's group like in depression, you just give them the pills and ask them, "Oh, are you happy right. you took them?" Oh, no, no, yeah. I mean, I am with you completely. And and I think this is even a bigger issue here because like the double mastectomy studies I was criticizing, um the most recent one, they asked adolescents who were clearly very distressed about having breasts, they removed yeah. their breasts. Then they 3 months later they asked them how they're doing having no breasts and how in effect the instrument they use rated the experience of having no breasts because yeah. all the items would go down if you don't have, it's just, it's nonsense. It's not science. Um, mm -hmm. And this is especially true when you're talking about 13 and 14 year olds who just have no experience living in an adult body and they have no idea at 25 and 30, how they will feel having a very different body from their peers and, and one that doesn't quite, you know, works differently. So I'm with you. I, I find it upsetting that anyone would think that that is like, substantive evidence one way or the other yeah i agree uh another thing the last thing i want to say is uh like uh, callers say a lot uh here is i'm sorry people are being psychotic on twitter oh, yeah, it was a little bit of that people are um yeah I, mean, I brought i i got in a fight with this awful a pretty bad figure at harvard who i think does some pretty irresponsible well, I'm stuff. yeah i have a terrible place okay uh <laughs> Thank you very much, Jesse. Take Thank care. Thank you, Eli. This fight was about this woman who got arrested in the UK for alleged posts on Kiwi Farms that she doesn't even say she did. It's just, I sort of, 
I thought that whatever our other disagreements, when you get to the point where someone's being arrested for posts to a forum that no one is claiming were like violent threats or anything, I sort of thought that like that's the line people I disagree with on this stuff wouldn't cross, that we would agree on that. Like don't arrest people for mean uh, posts, alleged posts. I was wrong. I was very wrong. People were very upset that I was mad, you know, not mad, that I was questioning the arrest of someone. Cops going to her house and arresting her. A lot of folks with a... I'm stealing this joke from someone, but a lot of folks uh, switched from A-cab to Y-cab because they were happy that one of their perceived ideological enemies got arrested. That's a pretty sick impulse. I don't like that. It's it's a little... That's a little fashy to me, but whatever. What's up, Andrew? Hey, Jesse. Uh, Yeah, uh, I saw that about the arrest, and that was pretty fascist to me as well, and I I don't know. It, 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 I, I keep coming back to, I think, a lot of people are alive right now whose main experience of reality is movies that yeah. they've seen. Um, and everything is just being shoved into a narrative format um, and like a three-act structure. And that that's they legitimately have no counter-experience to understand the world. Yeah, um, and I think people like that are overrepresented on Twitter, as always. Uh, yeah, you know, because it, it's... it's Different experience of reality if you're just a soul online and everything's academic. Um, and I, I would like, uh, for the record, uh, to state that uh, Neil did not like RRR. Oh, so wow. I think his opinion, if I'm recalling correctly, Neil, and I apologize, and I expect to be sued for slander <laughs> if that was incorrect. But I'd I like the show that... to generate more lawsuits. That's one yeah. of the areas where it hasn't performed. But I, I I believe I did hear that comment on one of these episodes. So I just anyone anyone who heard his opinion of the Little Mermaid, please wait. You know your your evidence appropriately. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fair. Okay, and then uh, one thing I did want to challenge you on is the map stuff that came up at the end of last episode. Yeah, because this is something. Do you ever feel that you may have a bias to believe in things that should theoretically be true and are hard for other people to accept? Um, like to walk on glass? Yeah, I think I'm drawn to ideas that strike me as A, intuitively very likely to be true, and B, right. to upset people, because I think it's important to talk about them, frankly, in some cases. Right. And, and, and so, just to, so, so you have my position here, and to know I'm not trying to lead you into anything that's a trick or something. If there were an organization not run by people who are attracted to children... <laughs> that would monitor people who had that attraction and would counsel them separately. So they're never in a group and track outcomes to see what was effective and not effective in in preventing them from offending. I would be all in favor of that. From what I can tell everything, like everything that actually exists in the real world appears to not do those things. Um, I think I, I disagree just because I, I, I wrote a magazine article on this stuff that got right. killed. Um, so I, there's clinics that, that do do versions of this. Okay, don't they do group? They do group. I sat in on the group, and it, it just wasn't a situation. So I get the concern would be pedophiles gathering in a place where there isn't supervision and there aren't certain conduct standards so this was in a room in ottawa with multiple clinicians in the room in a very tightly okay. structured discussion okay uh, here's here's the part that i so 
if we're in 1972, I agree that there's not a risk there. But so I, I was in a group for the other side of this experience. And I'm not I'm not asking you to weight belief in, in that way. But you mean for victims of sex abuse? Yeah, for for victims. Right. Yeah. And after a couple sessions, everyone had given up some piece of information that you could have used to Google them and find them and locate them outside of the uh, of, of the group. And I remember, I think I, I Googled this after you mentioned it once, and there was some group in Germany where, not, I, you know what, I'm not going to, I'll, I'll find the details. Duncan, but, Project Duncanfeld is the German one that tries to work yeah, okay. with pedophiles. Yeah, but I believe a couple of them did network and work together. And, and you don't have to have, have that happen many times before, like, I, I don't know, people treat it like it's AA, but it there's nothing in that model that it would appear to me to stop a fundamental biological urge. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, these are fair questions. And my sense is, I wish this piece had run. I think it would have been a good piece. Um, I, I like, for what it's worth, I gained a, a decently in-depth understanding of exactly how this stuff works and exactly the tactics clinicians right. take to try to make sure these guys don't offend. I think because anything with like really low base rates, very few people are pedophiles and even pedophiles don't always commit pedophilic acts. It's hard to get good data on which programs work. I just, if the question is, it's kind of untestable is, is, is my, yeah, I don't know if it's totally untestable, but it's definitely hard to test. Um, the group stuff. I just don't know. I wish I'd know the Ottawa clinic. It would not surprise me. If they just told these guys, you're, you can't hang out outside this clinic because a lot of these guys were dealing with uh, legal issues and their participation in the clinic was like partly to keep them out of jail. So I think they were strongly right. incentivized to, to go with the program and do what they were told. But uh, I agree completely. You, you wouldn't necessarily want the media out in like unsupervised ways. Yeah. And, and to me, it's just it opens up network risk when to, to pre- present an environment where that could happen. And. To, to me, that whole thing is a negation because un- unless you can prove some therapeutic is extremely effective, which I, I don't even I, I can imagine experimental setups that no institution would ever let you um got <laughs> that I also wouldn't feel comfortable running <laughs> yeah. um, for the record. But um, anyway, that I just I I I uh, ask you to please um, if you. Uh, if this is moving at all, uh, please uh, apply a, a level of uh, skepticism or scrutiny regarding the, the programs. If if you've not done so already, that's right. I mean, I understand, okay. um, especially if you're someone who's been victimized by this stuff. It, it's horrific, and I can't imagine the impact. Um, yeah. I think I have. I think I've applied sufficient skepticism and rigor in the stuff I've written, but there's always a risk that you become too like yeah. contrarian or edgelordy, and I definitely don't want to do that. Yeah, it's just the the thing that I think there's a there's a piece of it that's always academic. I think, and I don't I don't know anything. I, I never like people's history because everyone has any all kinds of responses to these things. But until you've actually seen someone make that switch in their head when they turn into you know a, a monster who would do anything to to get what they want, you always want to extend humanity to somebody who who is human and has humanity, but there's a switch that they flips. can take advantage of your charity though. Right. Yes. 
Yes, and and, and it's it, I I'm sure you've seen lots of horrible things in your, in your line of, of work, but to, to me that's the that's the thing that that's always hard to get people to actually believe. Uh, I appreciate the call. It's a very thoughtful call, and and I need to make sure I'm um you know sufficiently skeptical of this stuff. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you, sir. And I also am sorry people are mean to you on Twitter. Oh, dude, it's not. It's a minor issue compared okay. to everything else. Neil, I'm skipping you just to get to a couple of folks you haven't asked questions yet, but I will get to you after Alex and Joshua. Alex, what's up? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hey. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I'm just calling about um, fascism. Um, an earlier caller was uh, uh, actual fascism, and then one of your callers just now just used fash, you know, just in, in you know, um, uh, uh, you know, just um, in um, a very broad way. Um, and um, it's been... Um, it seems to be used uh, very broadly now um, to describe any kind of illiberal politics or or, or just any kind of conservative politics. And um, uh, I don't think that any politics we have at the moment has much in common with um, historic fascism. Um, I think I, I think that's probably right. You mean you mean in this country or elsewhere? I, I well in Europe certainly. I'm. Um, either uh yeah and i don't think that the far right in ukraine or russia uh have much in common with fascism um and uh and i think um it's it's a bit of a moral panic um uh in a way and i think it's it's used um to uh to deliberately you know um make people afraid um and I think um, we should try to push back against it. Now, that's, I don't know if, what, how you... Yeah, so I, I, I agree. It's completely, it's overused. I think I just said that the idea of sending cops to someone's house over a mean forum post. Um, maybe I should have said it sounds a bit authoritarian rather than a bit fascist. Uh, there's not a lot of places in the world where there's anything like genuine fascism left at the moment. Maybe, don't you think if we use the term authoritarianism, which I think can be applied to some political tendencies in the US and Europe, wouldn't the same thing happen though or just be concept creep and then everyone calls everything authoritarianism? Or do you think they're sufficiently different that this is a, a term that better captures certain tendencies um, you know, that we associate with the right but that often exi also exists on the left? Um, I think, well, I think we, if we're talking about a, a specific um, political idea uh, or a group, for example, the um, the new far-right um, government in Italy, which um, the party which grew out of a neo-fascist party, but isn't really a neo-fascist party now, hasn't been for you know a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and I think that we should just try to be as um, exact as we can when we're talking about uh, a specific thing. Uh, just to try to, you know, just try to be clear and... Um, and try to avoid the, you know, the kind of um, uh, panic um, culture that we seem to be. Uh, well, it seems to help certain people um, to encourage that kind of. Uh, I th I think it yeah I think. A it would be exciting if we were in a fight for our, I mean terrified also exciting if we were in a fight for our lives against genuine fascism and B. It would allow for certain chip away, chipping away at like civil liberties and certain norms um, yep. for the sake of fighting fascism. So I, I think that's that's what we should be 
that's the downside of over fascistizing everything we should be worried about, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Joshua, then Neil again, then uh, we're going to wrap it up. What's up, Joshua? Is this uh, Jesse, one of the famous Manhattan elites? Yes, I'm now having traveled there having once. Having traveled there once. Uh, oh, wait, hey, I'm echoing oh, wait, on hey, your thing. Echoing on your thing. Can you turn? Yeah, yeah. You got it? Okay, yeah. Uh, yes, I'm having traveled there once. I'm now a Manhattan elite. I was hanging out with, uh, you know, bankers and New York Knicks and uh, other superstar types. It was a lot of fun. Um, as you should. I can already hear the air of superiority in your voice. Uh, <laughs> um, feel free to rescind this question because uh, I'm coming on a little bit late. But the whole John Stewart uh, episode, uh, and again, interrupt me if you've already kind of covered this, but it just feels like he picked someone that was not qualified to have a nuanced conversation on it. And uh, again, uh, I, I guess, number one, your thoughts on it. And number two, have you thought just how you've reached out to, you know, certain publications about, you know, misleading information? And I don't know if they made anything where you could actually fact check them on it. But have you ever thought about engaging them about, you know, like, you know, being someone there to offer a nuanced opinion on this? Um, yeah, so sorry, you're talking about the conversation with the Arkansas AG, right? In terms of someone, the person you talked to? Yes, correct. Yeah, so I should say I haven't watched the whole episode yet. I know I'm going to need to. The parts I watched just got me – it just got me frustrated. They got me frustrated in the same way it got me frustrated when I heard a clip of him talking about white fragility on his podcast. Or it's just like this is from like 2019, 2020. It's stuff that's already been so thoroughly digested and critiqued. And why is he so behind? I used to look up to this guy. The snip, the snippets I've watched so far of his treatment of gender, I got the same feeling. Where it's just like it, it's like he just isn't aware of the last. This is a rapidly evolving conversation, and his only, the only thing he was interested in was painting this very, you know, uh, how could these Republicans be so stupid? Why don't they understand that science? Why won't they listen to science? And it's just it's a huge oversimplification of what's going on. I am repeating myself a little from early in the episode earlier, but I'll say it again. The right-wing laws are bad. You should not ban these treatments. You should not be you know, risking pulling kids from their parents because they let them socially transition like um, Texas is trying to do. But, you know, you're, he cherry-picked a dumb state AG who said that 98% of kids desist, which is ridiculous. Uh, but there's a lot more to it than that. And this claim that the science supports this, science supports that, is such a bastardization of what a scientific claim is like, I don't know. I guess I'll have to watch the whole thing as for reaching out to them. Um, I haven't had much luck. I, I think I used to do that more consistently. Like I tried to get reply all, uh, not reply all science verses to correct some stuff with mixed results. They would sometimes correct it. I'm just, I'm very disenchanted with how mainstream outlets cover this other than the Reuters article I just mentioned, which was excellent and a few others. So I'm just sort of doing my own thing and it, it, it works well. It gets me a lot of subscriptions just to write like careful, nuanced, nerdy pieces about the evidence. Uh, but I'm, I'm frustrated with John Stewart, but I don't think this episode of his is going to hold up well historically, even a few years from now. Yeah. It just feels like John has an opportunity with many of these subjects to offer a nuanced point and he tends to find people who granted i think he's airing people who are willing to be 
interview. I think that they think that the interview will go better than they think. But he's kind of, it feels like shooting down, you know, dropping a grenade in a ear. Um, and he's not pulling on, pulling in uh, and having interesting debates with people who feel like they are, you know, qualified to either properly represent the opposite opinion or be someone who can offer uh, opinions such as yourself. So, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Joshua. I, I hereby accept Jonathan's, Jonathan, John Stewart's uh, invite to go on his show. I would love to. All right, Neil, let's wrap this up. What's up? Did you see the PayPal stuff and then the walk back? Um, I'm not full. This is PayPal trying to shut down the free speech. I can't keep my... Well, okay. So basically they, they had a new policy they published that was they were going to fine people who spread misinformation $2,500. And then there were... If PayPal is, like, oh. is going to fine people? That, that, that was the updated policy. They're yeah. not a government. So, but, How can a non-government... Well, I, Oh my God! So so then so then they sent out a thing. Oh no! An AUP notice recently went out in error that included incorrect information. We're not going to find people for misinformation, and this language was never intended to be inserted in. Okay, then why was it inserted? In? So so I, 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 what, what is your take on that? Do you think so? A lot of people, especially on the right, are like, oh, this is authoritarianism, and then I'm like the the corporate bootlicking libertarian who's like, actually, they're you know they're a private company. But um, so I don't know. What what are your thoughts? Is this I just would have, I, I can't answer that unless I've looked more into it. If they actually had language suggesting they were going to find people for misinformation, yeah, they're a private company, but that would mean they're a private company you should you should flee from if they're going to try to take your money over there. I, I just got to look into it more. That sounds it does. Yeah, that, that, that was the yeah. policy. Yeah, 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 that's insane. But they walked it back. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Progress. Yeah. Good Thank night. You, right. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. As always, I would just ask if you like what I'm doing with the show, tell other people about it. Definitely read the Reuters piece, read Emily Bazelon. You got, uh, other good people, including some trans women. Erica Anderson's good on the stuff. Marcy Bauer, uh, Dana Beyer has done some good stuff. I liked Dana Beyer. Wait, am I confusing myself? Dana Beyer had a good interview, uh, on Andrew Sullivan's podcast. She's good. Pete, like, I don't agree with Dana Byer and everyone, but like there are a lot of like just reasonable, smart voices who have concerns along different lines on this stuff. You don't need to. I'm preaching to the choir here. You don't need to listen to the most radical, crazy black and white voices. So, uh, yeah. On that note, I hope everyone has a good Saturday night, and I will be back soon. Thank you. Goodbye.